This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com, where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello and welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast. Not the Chase Thomas who was a linebacker at uh, Walton High School. Who uh, I'm battling for name supremacy uh, as Bob Spire, who is here with me this afternoon, thought I was. Uh, Bob, good afternoon. How are you? Well, I'm kind of glad you weren't. He was a nightmare when we played against him. So <laughs> hopefully you won't terrorize me like that. No, no. Who, um, in your coaching career in the state of Georgia, who is, is he in the top five? Like where, who, uh, Oh, absolutely. I, I, I'm really not sure. He's not at the top of the list. And I don't, I mean, he was really hard to game plan for. He's a tremendous athlete and he was a multi-position guy. He could be a linebacker and a, and a D lineman. And, and, uh, yeah, he, uh, he was a special player. We we uh, we figured some things out when we played him in the semifinals. We were able to formation and go away from him a lot with a lot of our stuff. But we we messed that up one time, and he almost intercepted the pitch on the option and would have taken it back for a touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. Um, Who is the best high school player that you've had to game plan against in your coaching tenure? Uh, actually, there's a guy from Kentucky by the name of Michael or uh, Michael Bush. Okay, um, the running back. Yeah, the running back. Well, when he played in high school, he played everything. Oh, okay. running back, quarterback, receiver, safety, punted, punt return, kick return. Unbelievable athlete, tremendous athlete. Interesting. He went to Louisville, right? He was in that two-headed monster. Uh, yeah, he, you know, he, he was on track to win the Heisman and broke his leg that year about mid-season. And um, um, I don't think it was ever quite the same after that. So why did you make the move? Because you spent a lot of time in Kentucky. You're from Kentucky. What made you go from Kentucky to the state of Georgia? Oh my gosh, the ball in Kentucky's round. It bounces if you're if you're if you're a coach. Uh, you almost <laughs> got to apologize for being a football coach in Kentucky. But uh, uh, Georgia, Kentucky, come on. When it comes to high school football, there's night and day difference. So what are some of the biggest differences uh, that you found immediately? The grandmothers in Georgia know more than more football than the men in Kentucky know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I say that in jest. There's some great folks up there, and there's some pockets mm-hmm. of some really good programs, but there's some some sparse 
uh, areas in between those pockets of really good football. Uh, in Georgia, it's, it's, it's north, south, east, west, all across the state, all classifications. Um, in Kentucky, you had to go to the right places. And, and if you did, it was done done right and was done well. And, and they would be really competitive here or anywhere. But but it, there were there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of holes in that map between those really good programs. Well, looking at coaching now, and um, you obviously uh, one of the best play calling coaches in the last twenty years in the state of Georgia. What have you noticed, and <sighs> just shift wise in the way offenses are played from when you first got to Georgia versus now? What have you had to adjust? What have you seen that other schools have adjusted with the players that they have? Like, what have what kind of offensive change have you have you seen and had that you've had to actually adapt to as well? well well, Chase, honestly and truly, I think we were on the front end of the, of the revolution in Georgia, but actually Kentucky, from that standpoint, because you got to do more with less, was much ahead of Georgia on the spread curve. So I started spreading it in 95, mm. came to Georgia in 2006, and really even the first, you know, those first eight or nine years doing it in Kentucky, and then when it came to Georgia the first few years, uh, we won a lot of ball games where the other teams looked at us like, is this really football? I'm a little mm-hmm. bit mesmerized. I'm not really sure how to line up against this or, or whatever. And so we won some, a lot of ball games during that, that run where maybe we weren't the most talented team. But now, Chase, um, everybody's doing what we were doing yeah. now. I mean, it, now it's what it is. Uh, so that, 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 that extended advantage – that for years that we had because we were unique. Um, but, you know, look at that in 2006, took over a program at North Gwinnett that was a little bit on the rise, but had not really had a ton of success before. And you look up and pretty soon we're, we, you know, we're right in the mix with the best programs in Georgia and within, you know, the first year or two. And, and once again, even, you know, you being a Brookwood guy, you know. We, oh, we part me, not Brookwood. Brookwood. Part me, part me. Oh, you got to get it. Those that, are very – di- oh, you cannot mistake me for a Brookwood guy. <laughs> major mistake. Oh, major yeah. Mistake no. No, Brookwood. But, no, but thank you. But with that you. being your rival, with that being your rival, you know, we played them three times in the first two years. You know what kind of program they had. Yeah. And I, I think the advantage we had in those three games was what we were doing systematically, not necessarily, you know, not necessarily personnel-wise. It was a schematic thing. Uh, th- those, those advantages now are gone because everybody coming into the game now as a coach is, is that's what they know is spread football. Nobody then was, you know, we were ahead of the curve. So you looked at 2006; it really caught a lot of people's attention. And then last, they hired Chip Lindsey, and he comes there kind of piggybacks on that same same approach, same philosophy, has Hudson Mason. And and then a couple of years later, after I came in, they, you know, they hired Rush down at Colquitt. And, you know, and next thing you know, now it's on where everybody's doing it. Is that make it difficult? You know, it's funny. I was going back uh, when there was no sports uh, for several months with COVID. I was going back and watching old stuff, but I rewatched the state championship game from 2002 between Brookwood and Parkview. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Do you go back and watch some of these old, like just the playing style? Like Parkview, they ran the ball 13 straight times at one point on their opening drive, and they ended up scoring and everything. But it's just smash mouth. They pull back, 
dual tight end sets. They're just running right up the gut. They're just they're going in the A gap, the B gap. That's all they're doing. They're not doing in like they're never in the gun. Like Dustin Wade is he well, has I, no reads downfield, well, anything. Well, Chase, as a player in high school myself, I mean, I was a wishbone triple option quarterback. So, I mean, I've that's what I grew up with. I grew up with pound the rock and and uh, you under center and you know throw the ball you know eight ten times a game on a on a on that would be your wide open night. Um, you know, so I know exactly what you're talking about, but that's not the flavor of the game today. And that's not the tempo that people want to play at. And, um, you know, that's not what the fans really come to see anymore for whatever that's worth. I mean, they will come to see men's first. That's never going to change. But, uh, but, uh, but a young coach coming out of a, a program now as a high school player going to college and then starting to coach high school ball, he knows spread football now. He doesn't know, you know, power football. He doesn't necessarily – he wasn't really weaned on – triple option under center or any of those kind of things. So I think that's kind of been to my advantage too, as a coach, because I was weaned on that. And then when I made the decision early to be ahead of the curve on all the spread stuff, I still always applied all the, all the triple option run game principles to our system. Hmm. And everything was still about numbers, advantages, angles, leverage, you know, it's it's it, even the spread. It's all those elements and, and all those principles still apply to your play calling. What is the what what is the hardest thing about playing quarterback in today's spread system that you have to teach guys that they it takes a little bit longer for them to learn and master? Uh, you really from the quarterback position is probably two things. Number one, it, it fundamentals never change in terms of being critical to play the game. Mm. I don't care what offense you're running, what defense you're running. You have to run, block, tackle. You know, you got to be able. You know, you got to be able to throw the ball with the right fundamentals, et cetera. So, so there is a, a heavy requirement on footwork involved in the spread offense for a quarterback. People think it's just about. Oh, that, that ball comes out of his hands really good. Well, all that's fine and good, but if he didn't have great footwork, the timing, particularly, you know, we were so cutting edge on the RPO game. It's amazing. You still hear the NFL people on the announcers talk like this is some revolution. Thing. My gosh, we've been RPO way before all these guys in the NFL were yeah. doing it. But the footwork required in that is, is so critical. And a lot of people don't understand that because if you don't have the right footwork, your timing's off on, on all that stuff. And and so only certain quarterbacks can you know certain athletic type quarterbacks can can do that. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing is this. Uh, yes, when we were under center, run triple option, there was there was read and decision making had to be. Mm-hmm. Now now it's all now it's all the perimeter space guys that you have to read. You've got to know where to throw hot. You've got to read all the tails, all the poker tails. Of the safeties creeped over just a little bit, so that edge linebacker is probably coming, and I got to know that I got to get it in on out of my hands to the receiver that the safety's still eight yards off of. And if you don't have all those, your quarterback's going to hit in the mouth, and you got to put somebody else in the third quarter because he's got a concussion. So there's so many decision making things that the quarterback has to understand from perimeter defenses. Um, but then, then if you really have a good one that can take you all the way to, to a championship, 
he also understands all of the angles of the box players, who the reads are in the RPO, but also sometimes your best quarterbacks are the ones that can get you in their best run checks. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really taking the high school quarterback to the nth degree of preparation. Interesting. Um, who did you watch when you, cause you were so ahead of the curve with uh, bringing the spread into high school football. Like who were you watching where you got this idea? You were like, you know what? We can play some, we can play a different way. And this is something that is going to work for, for a long period of time. Like who were you watching where you're like, this works. The, the biggest influence that got me thinking about doing this on the high school level was when, um, Oh, who's the quarterback from Peach County that played at Florida State? Um, uh, um, what year was this? Peach. Oh County. gosh, it been. But was this Charlie Ward? Yeah, no, when Charlie for... Ward when Charlie Ward played at Florida State, and they yeah. went to all their gun spread stuff with him. I'm like, all right, oh, the, the this what this is where it's all headed. Yeah, in my mind. When as soon as I saw that, this is where it's all headed. And and then once I started getting infatuated and studying. Their their gun, a lot of two by two stuff, uh, a lot of mirror routes, et cetera. Then I started looking at all the BYU stuff, but also the here comes the evolution of the Rich Rod spread run game, et cetera. All that stuff that was tied into it, and of course I was studying a lot of what Joe Gibbs was doing with the with the zone run game at the Washington Redskins, really and truly chase. We just kind of created our own own system, kind of out of the box. On the heels of us being into it about three years, that's when Hal Mummy, Mike Leach, Tony Franklin, all those guys were at Kentucky. Mm-hmm. We've been spreading it for about three years, and then they came to Kentucky. So then I had a laboratory. I was a mile from the university. We had the laboratory to go study all of the air raid stuff and we never, I never became a true air raid guy, but we incorporated so many teaching principles and some of the concepts and schemes because they were doing some of the BYU, the BYU is where they got a lot of their stuff. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I just kind of meshed all those different elements together. Having been an option quarterback, the Rich Rod run game stuff was really intriguing to me. So really it was a, a culmination of putting all that stuff together. But you know what, Chase? People don't understand. I was blessed to have some really good high school coaches. Even was in Kentucky, kind of back what we were talking about. <laughs> I hate to admit this, but I've been coaching for a while. <laughs> but in nineteen in nineteen seventy two, we were running an RPO system from under center, out in our in our our eye blast sprint draw package. We had a, a, a scenario where as we came out from under center and we read whether the linebacker was fitting on run on sprint draw versus either handing it off now or throwing the arc release route to the tight end because of what the linebacker did. But nobody even knew to call it then that then. And nobody – and so I go back to all those option days and then that play in particular, that made an impression on me and I always thought about that. And then as I started seeing some of these pictures, particularly like when I saw what Charlie Ward was doing and how they turned him loose and let him make decisions and make plays, I'm like, that's really where the game is headed in my mind. Do you think it's easier to be a spread quarterback versus what uh, quarterbacks had to do beforehand, like just being under center, being more of an I-form type guy? Like, is it is it 
more complicated or is it just a an easier thing where if you're good at reading reacting and hitting your first read and your first progression um you'll be okay or is it is it harder well chase i think that depends upon well first off i'm gonna say this i think for the most part it's more fun okay and 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 i also think part of that is because the quarterback really has more um ability to make plays from his own decision making instead of just being robotic. Mm-hmm. Um, if, 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 but as I a coach, does that not it, drive you nuts that you have this? You're putting a lot of faith in your quarterback that they're just kind of out there on an island and you're trusting them to freelance. No, I think that's okay. the. I think that's what coaching is, and I think mm-hmm. if you don't transition, I mean, my gosh, we're high school coaches. We got to teach these guys how to be leaders in the future. Yeah. We got to teach these guys how to grow up, take responsibility trust their decisions, live with the consequences, bounce back from them. To me, that's high school football coaching. To me, that's what we should be doing. Now, I'm not trying to be some, you know, some soul-saving whatever, you know, coach. But to me, I think coaches who don't give their guys the ability to make decisions are selling their maturity and growth development short. Um you know, I'm just, I don't want to be a control freak. I want to give them parameters to mm-hmm. live under. I want to give them cues to look for. I want to give them expectations and I want to give them cues to help them be successful. But ultimately I want them to be able to turn it loose, make decisions and trust their instincts and go make plays. And I think that's what kids want to do. They play, they, they, they want to play that position so that they can be a leader, so that they can have responsibility. If you don't give them that, then I don't know that you ever let them develop and that maybe you let your team develop as fully as it can. That's just my opinion. I, I just think when you really have it going on, your quarterback is a true extension of your head coach and your coaching staff. He takes the game to the field. You trust him. You live with the fact he's going to make mistakes. We all do when we're making decisions. None of us are perfect. And you coach him up and you help him make fewer mistakes the next week. And you focus on the good decisions he's made and you fix the mistakes he's made. It was almost comical, Chase, when my son played for us in 2013 mm-hmm. because I, got, I even fell into the trap of, as a coach, I, I would just call some kill shots, you know, some, some big play shots knowing that he was going to kill them if it absolutely wasn't there and just get us into the best run game. But I had tremendous tr- – he, he knew the system made probably better than I did. He'd seen it his whole <laughs> life growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, we we won ball games that year against teams that absolutely were because he just, he just coached the game out on the field for us. Our job was to get him ready to coach the game on Friday night once he got on the field, really. Did you enjoy coaching your son? Was it harder? Were you like, were you preparing for that for years because you knew he played and that this was going to be a reality for you? Is that something that you looked forward to? Were you nervous about it? You know, it? Chase, Chase, he made it so easy because he never, he never engaged in, in his position like he was entitled for anything. Mm-hmm. He never, ever expected something because he was coach's son. And uh, he didn't start till he was a senior, and he had to earn it then. And uh, you would have—he was never one of those kids that felt like he was being uh, overly treated or, or unrealistic expectations. Or I don't think he ever felt like he was ever being given anything. He just went about his business, and 
and was a team player. And, and, uh, honestly and truly when he was a junior, Michael Haynes was a senior. Michael was a great player for us. Uh, had a great senior year, but it, I mean, by all rights, it could have been either one of them could have been our starter. Mm. He would have been the first to say Michael's a senior. I don't, know that he's better than me, but I don't think that I'm necessarily better than him. He's a senior. He ought to be our starter. He'd probably been the first one to say that. Interesting. Um, the biggest difference coaching at North Gwinnett and coaching at Camden down South. What is the, what have you noticed? What's the biggest difference? Uh, well, I'm a little bit back in my wheelhouse a little bit more here. I grew up in a rural County in Kentucky, one, uh-huh. one high school in the whole County. Uh, we were in the biggest classification. We were typically in the playoffs uh, where I grew up, et cetera. So this is a little bit more my wheelhouse. People think I'm a city guy because I was in Atlanta and I was in Lexington, but really this is what I grew up with. So uh, I think I, I think I've always saw, I've always seen this in high school football. It's the community. It's what's the most important thing in your county to a lot of people. It's what a lot of the county identifies with. That's what I grew up with. You get in the Atlanta area, and, and uh, let me don't let, don't get me wrong. The North Carolina people were unbelievable, great community, awesome place. The the school system, the 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 faculty, the administrators, they're awesome. But this is a little bit this this is kind of old school South Georgia, you know, community night when home football game, et cetera. Um, you know, so from that standpoint, I think it's a little bit different from that, but. There's more challenges. We got kids that live 35 miles away from the school. Uh, really? Everybody within a three mile within a three mile radius of our school in uh, you know in in Swanee. Uh, we needed to have an impromptu practice or stay late because we had thunderstorms right after school. There was no issue. Here, you got to get on a bus and get them home after practice, et cetera. You're on a timeline. You don't have that luxury. Um, you know, so there's a lot of challenges. Socioeconomically, uh, there's more challenges here than obviously Suwannee's a unique, you know, suburban area that doesn't have a tremendous amount of, of, uh, of, of just distractions in terms of family or finances, et cetera. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that's probably unique to most of the, most of the rest of the world, but, but football here is, really serious it's south georgia and you kind of know what you're getting into when you get in his seat too but it's still football yeah kids are kids they want to be coached they they they, they want to feel like they got a chance on friday night um you know but also here you got as a coach you got a relationship not just with your in school in building you got a relationship with the superintendent you got a relationship with the, you know, the board and gwinnett <laughs> You know, that's not that's not negative towards anybody. That's just such a huge system. I mean, the chances of me and the and the superintendent ever, ever interacting in Gwinnett County are somewhere between slim and none mm. here. It could happen almost every day, you know. So so I I like the fact that you've got a little bit more input uh, at the decision making level here than you than you do in places like that. When you look at your schedule this fall. Is there one game that you have circled more than others that you're like, I'm really excited to go to Colquitt. I'm excited to play Marietta at home. Is there one game in particular that you and your team is really fired up about? You know, I, 
Chase, I am just excited beyond excitement that these kids look like they're going to get a chance to play. Yeah. These kids just want to play, man. And we don't care who it is. I just want them to get a chance to play. And I know that any Friday night, we're going to be without our best players. And we're just going to show up with who we got. And that may be two or three weeks in a row. And that may be an opportunity for 12, 15 kids who maybe wouldn't play on Friday. I get a chance to play. And it may not play out well for them on the scoreboard. But I'm just excited if they get a chance to play. And we, if there's a tougher schedule out there, I, you know, I'd like to see who it is because we're now opening with Richmond Hill, state semifinalists at three points away from playing in the state championship. You know, we've, we've, you know, we've now picked up uh, Reigns, who's won two of the last three state championships in 5A in Florida. We've got Warner Robbins, who's been in the state championship three years in a row. You know, we've got Coffee County, who's going to be one of the 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 the, the favorites to in in five A. You know, obviously we've got our region. Uh, we've got Marietta, defending champion. So every Friday night we've got a, a, a kill. And, and some of those teams may show up. We got Glen Academy with Rocky, who's always well coached. So one of those teams may show up shorthanded and. There's going to be so many ebbs and flows of this season. Everybody needs to be focused on the fact that it's not about us as coaches. It's about the kids. Let's just go play ball. Let's let whoever's standing go play and have us and do the best they can. There we go. That's how we'll wrap up here. Good luck this season, Bob. This has been great. I appreciate you making the time for me today. Um, excited to see your team this fall. I mean, whenever you're back up, I'll. Uh, I'll come by and see you. I'm seeing Corey and uh, Corey Meads at uh, Lanier at some point this fall. Um, okay, cool. Probably that, but uh, good luck this season. Stay safe down there, and uh, we'll we'll check back in soon. Thanks, Jake. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. Goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.